And thanks to Cry Malt, the grain of truth in every beer, this is the conversation behind every beer. I'm Matt Kirkegaard. This week we meet Dr. Glenn Fox, Senior Research Fellow at the Centre for Nutrition and Food Sciences, Queensland Alliance for Agriculture and Food Innovation at the University of Queensland. We often overlook what we have in our own backyard, and Dr. Fox is a great example. While we have regularly had international experts on the podcast, I was unaware of the research that was going on here in Australia until I met Glenn at a function recently. Dr. Fox has been named Charlie Bamforth's successor as Anheuser-Busch Endowed Professor of Malting and Brewing Sciences at the University of California, Davis. Today we meet Glenn and learn about his research in the ingredient side of the industry and what his role will be at UC Davis. Along the way, we also get a little tease into some research being done into Australian plants that may be able to assume the role of hops in brewing. We learn that Toowoomba once had a hop industry of sorts, the concerns about the effect climate change will have on barley and brewing, and also that from 2020, the University of Queensland will be including brewing training in its food science degree. This is a great conversation that covers a wide range of areas. I hope you'll enjoy the conversation. Dr. Glenn Fox, welcome to Beer is a Conversation. Thanks, Matt. Good to be here. And uh, I guess the first thing I need to do is uh, offer congratulations. Um, you've uh, just been named Charlie Bamforth, successor to the Anheuser-Busch Endowed Professor of Malting and Brewing Sciences. Congratulations. Well, thank you very much. It's uh, very exciting and I think it's a tremendous opportunity. It, it's, it, there's some fairly big shoes to fill. Um, Charlie, you know, the, the Pope of Foam, as he's known, um, has been a frequent guest on the, on the podcast and we've uh, done quite a bit with him and he's, he's globally uh, renowned. Um, how are you feeling about succeeding him in the, in the position? I think there's a couple of things that I I look at when I'm I think about this position and replacing Charlie or uh, being appointed as Charlie's successor. Certainly, Charlie has made huge inroads in the industry in terms of uh, working with the craft industry and digging deeper into some important beer quality aspects. But I I come from a different part of the industry to Charlie. And I think that's what I'm going to bring to this position is something more around the raw materials and understanding quality of the raw material. Um, Charlie expertise in brewing was sort of world renowned. Um, but I'd like to think my knowledge of the raw materials is, is equal to that. And I think it's really just a compliment of what Charlie's done, but I'm coming at it from a slightly different angle. Yeah, and we might go back and introduce you before we talk too much about what you'll be doing in the new role. You're a Senior Research Fellow at the Centre for Nutrition and Food Sciences at the Queensland Alliance for Agriculture and Food Innovation. Tell us a little bit about your background there. Well, I worked with the Queensland Barley Breeding Program for many years, and that was my introduction to the industry well, quite a few years ago. I won't give away any numbers. <laughs> And I just saw this beautiful science that connected so many different parts of food science and engineering and microbiology. And ever since then, it's been a real passion of mine. And I think I reflect a similar passion to all malt and barley and, and brewing researchers and, and brewers in general. Um, I saw an opportunity for us to, to dig a little bit deeper into quality, 
um, and the University of Queensland, where the centre is based, uh, was very supportive in, in you know allowing us to bring some high-level technology and high-level science to the research we're doing for the industry. So this has been a, a great connection between the University of Queensland as well as partners we've had over quite a few years now through the local brewers and molsters, as well as some international brewing companies and, and molsters. Well, your background comes from the ingredient side. Have you been working with the uh, brewing industry here um, around that, or has it been largely focused on the ingredients of which brewers then uh, benefit? We've worked with all the big companies, the big breweries in Australia in, in various different projects, looking at different aspects of the brewing process right through from the start of mashing to fermentation and final beer quality. Uh, I work with colleagues at University of Queensland have expertise in other areas of the brewing industry, either fermentation science or chemical engineering. And we've all had different projects with all the big brewing companies at different stages on different steps in the process. Uh, but also we've had projects with the molsters because the molsters still want to be able to ensure they're supplying the right quality malt to the brewers. Um, so that conversation is always ongoing about malt quality impacting on brewing quality. Uh, but also we've had projects with some big international companies. Um, some of them don't sort of uh, trade as those companies anymore. They've been taken over. Um, but we sort of got this you know, interest in not just a local but a global view of improving brewing. Um, and we, we really do strive to work with as many partners as you can. We have some incredible technology that we can deliver uh, and help the industry dig deeper into quality so they have a better understanding of quality and the impact that quality has on production and consistency of beer itself. We met last week when I was interviewing Tom Shellhammer and I was ashamed to say that we'd not, given that you're in my uh, own uh, state, in my own city, um, when we were having a conversation and you announced that you were Charlie's replacement, um, I, I, I was a little bit ashamed to say that we haven't uh, met before. Um, but we were at a, a presentation uh, with Tom Shellhammer who was talking about hops. Do you have much of a background or a focus around hops or is it prim- primarily the grain side of the industry? Primarily the grains industry, but we certainly have, and certainly coming from Queensland where we don't grow hops, um, where we haven't grown hops in Queensland for more than 100 years. But so, so, so from a grains perspective, we've really focused on that, but we understand that flavour components, uh, all the small and special com- compounds that are in beer come from malt and they come from hops and they also come from yeast. So we've never worked just in isolation. We understand the contribution of all those components to the beer. Um, And we have looked at other side projects where we can look at Australian other types of plants that could contribute to the hop or a bitter component. So while it's not directly hop related, we have done some research in, in other types of plants that could contribute bitterness and flavor to the beer itself. Talk, talk to me a little bit about uh, about that research. Uh, are, are there any candidates that have uh, that, that are looking positive? Oh, I think I'm going to keep that one up my sleeve <laughs> at the moment. Um, this is something a couple of our, our chemists are working on, uh, and they're actually working with Tom in in this specific space. Uh, so we might just keep that on the side uh, at the back burner for the moment. But overall, we'll be contributing to the industry by looking at some of these alternatives 
because the craft industry is always looking for that point of differentiation and there's opportunities to use many types of Australian plants uh, that will contribute and enhance beer quality. And I was interested to say that we haven't grown hops in Queensland for 100 years. I'm, I, I have to admit that I didn't realise that we'd had a commercial hop industry here at, at any stage. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? I know you're not a historian. Well, I, I guess my knowledge is, is reasonably limited, but I spent most of my early career in Toowoomba, so only a couple of hours from Brisbane, and they had a, a reasonably vibrant brewing industry in Toowoomba. So back more than 100 years ago, they had a couple of malt houses and they had a couple of breweries. Uh, and as as late as only the 1980s, uh, Carlton United had a brewery in Toowoomba that was shut down. Mm. And Barrett Burston had a malt house in Toowoomba uh, that was only shut down uh, probably in the early 2000s. Uh, and the malt house is a very interesting place to go to because it is originally a floor maltings and they have these beautiful wooden beam structures. Uh, so you can imagine, you know, molsters a hundred years ago raking the floor. Um, so it's just a fantastic visual place to visit. But the area where they had the malt house right next to it, they actually had uh, a hop farm. So the molsters were producing malt and they were harvesting hops and it was all just being carted up the road to Carlton United Breweries. Um, so there was sort of a, a, a complete industry in Toowoomba. And there's also a yeast factory that's been there for a long time, Maori yeast. Uh, so the, the Toowoomba industry, the brewing industry was quite vibrant. Uh, but just over time and through takeovers and the usual processes, that's all wound down. So there's no maltings in Toowoomba. There's a couple of craft breweries that are taking off. Um, so the industry's probably going in for a resurgence with the craft industry now. Were the hops able to grow commercially there? Because that's one of the things that we're always told is that it's certain latitudes and Queensland is well outside of the latitudes that hops can be grown commercially. I think they probably struggled. <laughs> right, <laughs> okay. I think this is probably a trial that um, didn't wasn't terribly successful, but at the, imagine at the time if they were importing hops from uh, Victoria or Tasmania or even from overseas, the, the time lag to get them to Queensland, uh, the effect of the heat probably had some impact on quality and supply. So they probably tried to just grow some local supply, uh, but it probably wasn't terribly successful and I don't think it lasted too long at all. Yes, stepping back, we, we, we disappeared down the, the, the rabbit hole there, as fascinating as it was. In, in terms of your research and your background um, with malt, what do you see as, as the great challenges within the barley and the malting industry uh, as, as they re- relate to brewers these days? Well, I think the elephant in the room, and it's probably not so much of an elephant anymore, it's so obvious, is we really still don't understand the effect of possible climate change on quality and production. Um, we've seen samples of barley that change in their quality, even though they still fit within the malt specification. So they're still within the protein window. Uh, they're still good grain size, but internally their composition is adjusting in a way that we're still not fully aware on how that will impact on the malting and brewing process. So I think that's an area that we still keep an eye on. We can't drop the ball on that and just assume because barley's coming in at the usual uh, grain specs that everything is normal. I think things are there's some hidden differences happening in there um, that flows into the malt quality. And the industry has been so clever at 
dealing with uh, subtle changes and improvement in processing and dealing with um, climate and carbon, all those sort of issues. Um, and they can still produce good quality malt that's traded on a few specifications that are easily understood and the brewers will buy their malt based on that. But we, everyone knows that there's literally hundreds of compounds in the malt and we're still not able to measure those routinely. And as a consequence, there's a lot of information that gets right through the process that we're still not sure of its absolute impact on quality and taste and, and, and aroma and flavour. Um, so I think that's the challenges for the next few years is how some of the high technology platforms can be sort of downscaled and transferred to the industry. I wouldn't want to recommend we actually start putting new specifications on for the molsters and brewers because I, I think they already are working really hard and, and are brilliant at keeping their eye on the ball. But I think in time we're going to have to be implementing some technologies that will just support the quality data that they already provide. Can you just explain a little bit more about what those sorts of technologies might be? Well, we use a lot of uh, omics technology. So we hear a lot about uh, genomics and, and proteomics where we can measure literally hundreds of compounds in a single analysis. And we've done some work with one of the brewing companies and one of the molsters where we looked at literally what proteins came from malt survived the brewing process and ended up in the foam and the beer. And there were literally hundreds of these small proteins that survived the process and could contribute positively to foam. None of these are measured routinely. And it's not because they, they, nobody wants to measure them. It means it's, these are actually difficult to measure. But these new technologies that we're talking about are much more high throughput and much more scalable. So I'd imagine in five or 10 years, we'll certainly see a lot more malt companies and even breweries that would be using these proteomics or metabolomics platforms to get a, a full profile or a complete picture of quality so they really know what's going in uh, in the mash and what's coming out uh, in the final fermentation. Uh, because in the final beer, if you look across all the compounds, there are literally thousands. Uh, and it's not easy to measure, and we still really don't understand what they're all doing uh, in their contribution to beer quality. How advanced are we in terms of our science uh, as it applies to um, the, the ingredients for beer? And, and, and I frame that around, um, you regularly see articles talking about research going on in the wine industry about grapes and the, the, the compounds in grapes and I'm not sure whether the research isn't happening in the, the, the brewing industry or whether it just hasn't been as newsworthy but has there been you know research going on in the, in the background that people just aren't aware of I think there's plenty of research going on and both in Australia and internationally and the research is at the highest level I think occasionally there's issues with the transferability of that technology to high throughput brewing uh, the brewers are on a, a reasonably tight schedule and certainly on some tight budgets. So adding extra cost to getting more analysis or adding time to get some data back to make some decisions in the brew house can be uh, a costly exercise. It's not that they don't want that information. It's just that how they use that information and how they can change the process to deal with variation in that quality. Um, but certainly the technology is, is there at the moment, most of the technology is probably at the research level at universities, 
Um, but another five years or so, I think we're going to see that technology transfer and and downscale. So it will be more mainstream for the, the molsters and brewers. Uh, conversations we've had with local molsters and brewers, they're very interested in this data. They're very keen to see all the compounds that go from barley or wheat uh, right through the hop compounds, even the compounds coming from yeast into the final quality. It's just not something they can easily measure now and the technology is not quite there to make it easy for them to measure. But certainly I think in the next few years we'll see it uh, and it'll be more mainstream within the industry. One of the things that we often hear, uh, particularly as the craft beer movement um, grows, is that the size and scale of the largest brewers has really skewed the barley growing and the malting requirements of the entire industry to their needs and that there is a, you know, a difference between what they need and what the craft brewing industry um, needs. Did you have any comment on that? I think that's a global reality, unfortunately, um, but certainly where you're talking some of the large molsters and breweries are dealing with hundreds of thousands of tonnes of malt or barley to make malt, and millions of hectolitres going through a brewery. Um, so certainly the industry's been designed to meet those large-scale demands. There have been plenty of conversations in the last couple of years around the craft brewers getting maybe a more customised malt specification, uh, and even some opportunities, certainly in the US, where craft molsters are now supplying the craft brewers rather than large-scale molsters supplying the craft brewers. So I think there's opportunity for craft molsters to sort of take some control. Um, and when they're using so much less barley, they can actually possibly cherry-pick the type of barley they want, whether they want a single variety from a single region uh, or they want one or two varieties they can deal with. Uh, there's certainly a lot of conversation around the heirloom and heritage varieties. Um, some unique flavour issues around those uh, that seems to have been lost with the more modern varieties. So I think there's plenty of opportunity for craft molsters and craft brewers to, to really continue to um, provide some niche in this industry. Um, and I think generally the molsters are happy to go along with them on this ride. Um, they understand that there's a market, and it's a, definitely a growing market, um, certainly in the, in the malting, craft malting industry. And I think it'll be the benefit of everyone. Um, the, the, the large breweries have a, a volume they have to target. So they sort of still want the large quantities of malt. Um, but I think there's opportunity for some more customised malt specs for the craft industry. Um, and Australia exports a lot of barley and a lot of malt to China. And China is just starting to get into this craft brewing and craft malting. So... We still see China as a big market, but I think the market will will adjust itself slightly for the, the type of barley they need for the different types of malt processes. When you um, mentioned some of the heirloom varieties, did they uh, sort of pass out of favour because they weren't meeting the needs of uh, brewers or were they less agronomically um, suitable to higher yields, more consistency, uh, sort of more targeted specifics to, to the big brewers? It's probably both of those, Matt, and, and maybe even some other factors involved. Certainly with modern brewing, the older varieties generally can't keep up with the, the yield production. 
and farmers are, are business people. They're interested in income, so that's a primary driver for them. So they want to get high, more high yielding, um, which means potentially or hopefully more money for them. But as, as a consequence, possibly in the chase for yield, the modern varieties have had a slight shift in quality and haven't quite got what... What's been difficult to put a, our hands on is what the uniqueness in terms of flavour of these heirloom varieties. So there's some work going on in trying to understand the uniqueness. Um, the other aspect of this was growing export markets. And Australia is one of the biggest exporters of barley and malt in the world. Our big competitor is Canada. And we were both competing for similar markets in Asia. Uh, and there were some rather big leaps forward in quality from a couple of varieties coming out of Canada. And people may remember a variety back in the 90s called Harrington. And that sort of really raised the bar in terms of quality. And the quality for the Asian markets is different to the domestic market. We're, we're servicing a market in Australia where they will use a liquid adjunct as part of the brewing. In Asia, they're mostly using a solid adjunct. So they were looking for a slightly different malt quality with higher enzymes and potentially different fermentability. And Harrington really raised the bar. So suddenly we're, we're chasing the Canadians. And there's been a a to-and-fro relationship with the Canadians for a long time now, and we're great friends with the Canadians, and, and we share a lot of information. But it's really raised the bar in terms of chasing yield, but also improving quality for these big export markets in Asia and, and Europe and South America. So they've probably been the major drivers to sort of shift away from these older varieties. But the, the heirloom varieties still probably have a place in these niche, small market malt, craft molsters and craft brewers. And there's certainly some research going on in Australia and overseas on some of these old heirloom varieties. Now, Glenn, I also understand that your current uh, employer, the University of Queensland, is about to embark on its own brewing course. Yes, we've been talking about it for a few years and we got sick of talking about it. So we decided to actually take some action. In 2020, we'll actually start an undergraduate course. Uh, so you'll have to actually be enrolled at the University of Queensland and it'll be part of the food science degree. And it's an opportunity to educate some of our young scientists on what's happening in the malting and brewing process, which is always, as we know, an exciting science to understand. We'll also be putting in a pilot brewery. Uh, so we'll actually be doing brewing research at the same time. Uh, but we also hope to run external courses. So after 2020, there'll be opportunity for uh, the craft brewers and other people to come and, and do some work in the brewery and, and get trained in the brewing. We hope to see people coming out of the UQ program uh, that could slot straight into some of the brewing businesses. Uh, there is a, a need for young brewers and people to, to get into the craft brewing industry. So we're hoping to fit some of that uh, void or the gap in the capacity for the local industry. But we also want to do some interesting research and we see that actually having a pilot system will allow us to do more focused and dedicated brewing research. So anyone that was interested in, it's obviously just available to at the moment, uh, or at least in 2020, to students who are enrolled in the food sciences degree. But will it be offered at some later point as a degree in brewing? That would have been the long-term plan if I wasn't uh, 
leaving on a jet plane. <laughs> um, no, the plan in the long term was to build it up that would have been similar to the Davis or even the Nottingham programs where uh, brewers could sit uh, IBD exams. And that's not beyond uh, happening now. Uh, I'll certainly work with the staff at the University of Queensland to see if that's a long-term objective. Uh, I, I think it is, and I think it'll work, um, but we've just got to get this undergraduate program up and going and get the pilot brewery up and running and just see how we can actually evolve that. We certainly always involve the industry when we have these discussions. We've talked to a number of the local craft breweries. We've talked to the, the people at Castle Main and at Carlton United down the road. Uh, they see opportunities and come at it from a slightly different angle as potentially training ground for their staff as well. So we really just want to get it up and running and then we can engage with the industry in a, at a much deeper level to see really how we can evolve the course to meet industry needs. Okay. Now, look, look, looking ahead to your new role, um, as we sort of said, Charlie Bamforth has uh, cast a very big shadow over the the, the brewing industry. Um, he's a great popularizer of beer. It sounds like uh, you're very passionate and a great communicator yourself. Um, but you've also said that your approach will be a little bit different to to Charlie's. Will we still see you out talking about your love of beer as much as Charlie did? Absolutely. Um, <laughs> Yeah, as I said, I'll, I'll take a slightly different tack and come at it from a slightly different angle than Charlie. And, and my focus is more raw materials and that first bit of production and how the, the quality of the raw material will impact on uh, potential downstream processing. But I think it's we're still in the same shooting at the same target here. Uh, we're just using a different weapon. We're keen to see consistency, uh, good quality, and a sustainable industry. Um, we, everyone wants to see that. We want to see good beer being made, uh, good quality raw materials and products. And I think we're all in this game because we love the, love the industry and I think there's, it's always an exciting and vibrant industry. So, yeah, I, I'm happy to acknowledge my shoe size isn't the same as Charlie. <laughs> you can grow into it. But I wear different shoes styles to Charlie too. Um, you've only got to see us standing side by side, and you can say, "Yeah, those blokes are different." Um, <laughs> I did. Or, do you? Uh, are you a Buddhist yourself? Uh, go the middle way, the way Charlie does? Uh, no, I'll probably reserve a comment on that one. Um, <laughs> and, and, my, and, god, my god, I'm, I'm in love with the beer gods. Right. <laughs> and how um, Charlie's no great fan of some of the newer styles of uh, beer, particularly the highly cloudy IPAs. What's your attitude towards them? I think there's a moment in the sun for everyone uh, and the 15 seconds of fame. Um, so everyone gets an opportunity to produce a product that might give someone uh, a different aspect of beer. Um, but it's not something I would probably sit and have half a dozen of over dinner. Um, some of those juicy IPAs are a little bit too juicy for me. Um, but I think it's an interesting aspect for the industry to consider. I'm more of an IPA guy, but uh, probably not a too... I don't want the juicy IPAs. I think there's there's always going to be these innovations and so, some slightly different product. Um, and people will go for it. There's always the chase of the different demographics, uh, male versus female, young versus sort of older drinkers. So the brewers have to be quite innovative uh, in how they 
target some and attract some of those markets. So I'm all for innovation. It's just some beer styles aren't my cup of tea, so to speak. Yeah, now tell me a little bit about the uh, Anheuser-Busch Endowed Chair of, uh, I think, Malting and Brewing Science um, at UC Davis. Uh, what, what, what is your role there? So this position is supported by Anheuser-Busch, uh, and it's really to supply, well, provide teaching uh, through the university system as well as external teaching courses for the industry. So there's undergraduate component within the food science degree. So part of my role will be involved in teaching the undergraduates. It's sort of, it's an historical course. Michael Lewis set this up a long time ago and then Charlie came uh, 20 years ago to sort of take over from Michael. The external studies are different. They're really targeted for the industry, people wanting to improve their their knowledge of, of the brewing process. And there's also opportunities for them to sit uh, the Institute of Brewing exams. So the training for the external or the external training sort of meets some of that criteria. So there's, there's all that teaching aspect and capacity building, but also there's opportunities for research. Uh, so I'm sort of hoping I can carry forward my, some of my research from Australia, but again, open the networks in the US uh, more malting in it, as well as brewing research opportunities. When do you actually move over to take up residence? 22nd of July, Matt. I'm just waiting for a visa. <laughs> with, I'm told any day now. Um, and then we're, I'm finishing at the University of Queensland at the end of June and we're, we're taking a quick break and then heading over on the 22nd of July and I'll probably be wandering over to the university shortly after that on the 23rd or 24th. Um, Davis is a lovely city. It's a small university town it's very close um it's a very friendly place and i would certainly invite any of our brewing friends from australia if you're ever over in san francisco country and it's only a quick trip on the train come out to the uni and we'll sit and have a few beers together i'm just uh trying to picture where it is because it's just out of san francisco and uh we may be over a little bit later in the year so uh pete mitchum and i might be able to take you up on that offer you'd be most welcome and it's really uh, about two hours east of San Francisco. So Sacramento is two hours east of San Fran, up in the north there. Uh, Sacramento's the capital, and there's plenty of flights into Sacramento. And Davis is just a 20-minute trip from Sacramento or a, you know an hour-and-a-half trip on the train out of San Francisco. So uh, it's reasonably easy to get to. There's a couple of great little craft breweries in Davis. So if we're not making beer ourselves at the uni, we'll be down the craft brewer having one made by one of the local guys. <laughs> now, is the position itself for a set period or is it, uh, is it a tenured position that you hold uh, until you decide to move on or retire? Yeah, the, the, I've been incredibly lucky. This has been offered as a tenured position uh, and I really appreciate this opportunity. Um, so, no, this, this could well be my last gig, Matt. Um, probably like Charlie, when he went there 20 years ago, he probably wasn't sure how it would pan out. Um, but, the, you know, he's got the runs on the board and, and uh, you know, he's now enjoying partial retirement because I know he's actually doing a bit of work for Sierra Nevada. Um, but he'll be, he's staying around and I'll still be help getting Charlie to help with certain things uh, and he wants to stay involved, which is great because his knowledge is, is second to none. So we'll, we'll, we'll keep working together. Um, and then, yeah, it, it is an ongoing position, but we'll be looking to expand and grow uh, 
both the internal and external courses and the research over the next few years. Wonderful. Well, uh, Dr. Glenn Fox, thank you very much for joining us uh, on Beers of Conversation. Congratulations on the very uh, august uh, role that you you are assuming, and uh, we we look forward to touching base with you uh, every now and then to see how it's uh, all progressing over there. Thank you, Matt. And I will be back in Australia. Uh, you can count on that. Um, we still have family here, so I will be coming back from time to time. And there's plenty of opportunities to come back and, and visit the, some of the great brewing events that are happening in Australia. And it's really exciting to see the growth and, and opportunities within the Australian industry. And I look forward to being involved however I can. Terrific, Glenn. Thank you very much and uh, safe travels. Thanks, Matt. Good talking to you. And that was Dr. Glenn Fox from the University of Queensland and soon of UC Davis. And we would also like to thank our sponsors, including Rallings Label Stickers and Packaging, for making this show possible. Even if you have an established label supplier, have a chat to Rallings Label Stickers and Packaging to find out how their flexibility can make things easier in your brewery. Call Rallings on 1300 852 235. If you like what we do at Radio Brews News, you can help us out by sponsoring the show, either a weekly or one-off donation. You can review us on iTunes or your favourite podcasting service to help others find the podcast, or you can email us at producer at brewsnews.com.au to share your thoughts and topics that you think might be worth us looking into. All correspondents will receive a Brews News bottle opener and go into the draw to win a mixed six-pack thanks to our good friends at Beer Cartel who sponsor our Letter of the Week. We look forward to having another conversation with you next week.